The sweet sounds of David Bowie always means that our pal Richard Krauss is coming on. Scott Reed sitting here on the Rush as guest host all afternoon, cruising toward the end of our Friday afternoon. It's only about 33 degrees Celsius out there. I hope you're enjoying this weather. Richard Krauss, how are we, my friend? Host of the podcast, Last Call with Richard Krauss, an expert on all matters entertainment. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I haven't been outside yet, but I hear people are suntanning. I've been listening to you talking about it being 99 degrees out there, so I can't wait to get out. It's it's crazy. And uh, uh, they say it's just going to get warmer, even at night. There's some like new weather thing going on. And so we've got about 14 days left. Mm. And at that point, we all burn to death. But like, <laughs> I think, you know, I'm going to ride it for what it's worth. Hey, when I saw you yesterday, you're going to see Ziggy Marley. Yeah. And so yesterday was uh, pretty cool. So I've seen the movie Bob Marley, One Love, and I'll tell you all about it next week. Uh, it is the story of about two years in the life of Bob Marley from the point at which he was uh, the target of an assassination attempt through to um, a couple of years later, the release of Exodus, which really made him a worldwide superstar. And then uh, after that, it talks a little bit about, but doesn't show his, his passing away at age 36. So I got to yesterday speak with Ziggy Marley, who is the son of Bob Marley. And I thought it was a pretty cool conversation. It was really interesting to sit across from him because he looks very much like his father. Uh, and to be able to talk about Bob Marley with someone who was there was really cool. So I've chosen a, a couple of minutes from the interview. Uh, Mike, let's have a listen to that. It's been 43 years since your father passed away. And everywhere you go, in my opinion, anyway, everywhere I go, I see a poster, I see a t-shirt, I hear his music coming out of a radio or it's on in a restaurant. What's it like for you to still probably be surrounded by him after so long away? Yeah, well, he's never away from me because I'm a part of him, right? And he's a part of me. You know, we have that natural, you know, with DNA. Um, yeah, we don't really think about it too much. We don't think about it like that, you know. We just, this is how we've been living like this from, from we were born, around my father's music and everything. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. But we don't think about it too much, you know. Yeah. Did working on this film and, and uh, being part of this make you think about your father in, in a different way? Did you learn anything? Was there something about it that what became clear for you? Yeah, I mean, the first point you make about thinking about him in a different way, I think that is the point for me. It wasn't about learning anything new, because we were the one who was teaching, mm -hmm. um, teaching people how, you know, Bob's personality, what happened, along with Neville Garrick, who was Bob's friend, was with us on set, making sure everything was done right. But what it did make me think of that I never really thought about before was what he went through emotionally during this time period. It was a very hard time for anybody to have these experiences that he was having, being shot, you know, having to leave his country, having doubts about why, why his own, like, why his friends, why his people try to hurt him, he's trying for the good, cancer diagnosis. I mean, it's a whole heap of, it's a whole heap of thing going on. So it made me wonder, wow, what my father was going through emotionally, you know, on the inside, it must, it's a, it's a, it, it must have taken a toll emotionally on him, you know, and mentally, psychologically, and it made me think about that, which I haven't thought about before. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's, uh, I loved... Tell me. I loved talking to him. 
he's so charismatic and uh, just so open, willing to talk about anything so often in these interviews. Uh, they don't really come out and say, don't talk about this, don't talk about that. There's no real parameters. Uh, but you're sort of, you know, given the idea that you really have to focus on, you know, one aspect of the movie or whatever. And he would talk about anything. And it was a really lovely conversation. So I'll play the entire thing on my radio show coming up uh, shortly. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to share a bit of that with you. That's fantastic. I'm glad you did, man. Um, you know, Marley's one of those artists that just refreshes every generation. Like, mm -hmm. there is not a single 15-year-old kid that hasn't gone through, <laughs> like, true. you know, their Buffalo Soldier stage, you know, mm -hmm. one love. Like, it's just the, it is just something eternal about that. Like, it just, uh, you turn a certain age and you turn on to that music for a bit. Well, um, and I think it's going to happen again when Bob Marley, One Love comes out because it's, again, the story of, of a very tumultuous time in Bob Marley's life, but it's all about the music. And there are at least two musical performances in this movie that are going to win over fans if they're not already fans of Bob Marley. Outstanding. What's going on with the Academy Awards? They've got something new. They do. For the first time since 2001, they've added a new category, and that new category uh, is for casting. And I think it's really interesting because David Cronenberg told me uh, a few years ago, I was interviewing him about one of his films, and he said, well, 90% of a director's job is casting. If you don't get that right, then nothing else works. And so I think it's probably fitting that there will be a, a casting award. I hope that it doesn't make the show even longer, the addition of handing out a another award because they've had trouble getting that show uh, wrangling in, in under three hours. But it made me think about some other films that were almost very different because they would have been cast differently. So cast your mind back to The Shining. Think about Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance. You can't really imagine anybody else playing that part, but Jack Nicholson wasn't the first uh, choice. Stanley Kubrick wanted Robin Williams to play that part. And I don't know whether the film would have been better or worse uh, or the same, but it would have been a different film, I think, had he played it. Robin Williams was a, a great dramatic actor, but I think at the time at which The Shining came out, people weren't willing to think of him as a dramatic actor yet. So it would have been kind of a stretch, I think. I think Jack Nicholson, the perfect choice for that. Absolutely perfect choice. But that, that story you tell about The Godfather, like it's, there, there are legions of great stories about all the casting struggles they had. And, uh, you know, they did not want to cast Pacino and they were, mm -hmm. were pushing, like the studio was pushing uh, for Robert Redford as Michael Corleone. Can you imagine? Can you like, imagine? Insane. Like a blonde haired, he looked like he walks off a beach and he's going to be the uh, head yeah, of the From family. Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, he comes right. Well, Jack Nicholson uh, turned down the part of Michael in The Godfather father. Again, Nicholson uh, is, you know, for a lot of these 70s films, uh, he plays a key part uh, in it because he was offered everything, but he turned it down because he said, this role has to be played by an Italian actor. You cannot cast me in this role. Um, later on, the Joker, of course, played by uh, Jack Nicholson in the original Batman film from Tim Burton. Uh, that role originally was offered to John Lithgow. Jack Nicholson was not the first choice for that one. And Lithgow went and met with Tim Burton and apparently talked his way out of getting the role because he said, I don't know, Tim, who wants to see a movie about Batman? I don't think anybody wants to see this. And shouldn't and so, the Joker uh, be Italian, he thought? 
<laughs> Talk to me about the Super Bowl. We only got a minute or so left, pal. Yeah, so it's, you know, for me, I'm not a sports guy, so for me, it's all about the Super Bowl ads. Uh, companies are paying between $6.5 to $7 million U.S. for a 30-second commercial, and they're pulling out all the stops, including uh, getting Sir Anthony Hopkins uh, to do uh, uh, an ad, and it's crazy. So another football-themed uh, advertisement, Anthony Hopkins uh, will be um, playing a dragon, Rex the Dragon, for the Wrexham club uh and he's playing the the club mascot i mean imagine the price tag on getting sir anthony hopkins to uh work on that you've also got another one here with uh christopher walken for bmw that looks super cool because uh they've got him he's so uh, uh easy to impersonate everybody does it uh, but their tagline is there's only one christopher walken and there's only one ultimate driving machine it's a great tagline for bmw and i think people are going to notice that one awesome uh, i'm pumped about this i mean I, I sometimes think it's like creative directors playground because money's no limit you can be as creative yeah. as you want they're going to spend whatever they want on it um fascinating love to see the ads but i'll be looking forward to the 49ers winning the game so <laughs> uh richard have a great weekend look forward to talking to you soon and uh you know check them ads out brother